Good morning. Thank you for incorporating uh, this set of notes into your notes. Uh, we will be finishing the imperialism unit by going into um, parts of South Asia and a little bit into Southwest Asia and just we'll wrap it up in with Japan and a um, kind of a lasting legacy of imperialism. But first, you know, we talked about China and I want you to understand that the term Asia arrived with modern Europeans. There's no one Asian language um, that had a word for Asia, you know, um, there's no one common religion. Um, there's no memory of one common massive empire like Rome. China, you know, had tributary states, but still very different. So by this time that we're in, the, you know, the global order was predominantly European, Westphalian, designed to maintain this rough balance of power between the major European powers. Um, outside of Europe was this building of colonies that we've talked about. As you learned, China's size prevented it from full colonization. Um, and, and a question I want you to think about, you know, you know, does China fit into this Westphalian model? Um, India has always been a lure for invaders, traders, spiritual seekers. Uh, the world order in Hindu cosmo cosmo cosmology um, was governed by a cycles um, for millions of years. Um, kingdoms would fall, um, the universe would be destroyed, be recreated. Um, the Bhagavad Gita, which it was a Hindu classic, you, you probably learned about last year, and um, you know there's there's an episode where there it takes the form of a dialogue between the warrior prince um, Arjuna and um, the Lord Krishna, and um, he is overwhelmed with sorrows on the eve of battle, the horrors, and um, Krishna says, you know, this is the wrong question because life is eternal and cyclical. And um, the essence of the universe is indestructible. And um, so that's something I want you to think about as we're going into these different areas um, in, in Asia. Um, first, we're going to pop over to Indonesia. And um, Indonesia, if you can find that on the map, if you're looking, if you're following along with me. But the um, um, Dutch, um, if you remember, this was a really popular location for the spice um, trade. Uh, the Dutch established sorry, headquarters at Java, the most populous island in Indonesia. Um, and by 1619, the Dutch um, were really content as, as vassals. You know, the, the main political rulers of the, of the islands was the sultans of Madram. But as, as, as you know, time goes on about 50 years later, by the 17, uh, 1670s, there's wars, and because of the power of the Dutch, there's going to be a slow Dutch takeover. By the mid-1700s, um, the Dutch pretty much completely control uh, Indonesia for about 200 years. Um, <clears throat> next, we're going to pop over to India, which we kind of briefly talked about with um, before. And so what I, who I want to introduce you to is maybe you learned about him last year. He's a dude by the name Katilia. And um, he, um, he was um, something, he was part of the Mauryan dynasty and he was the one who expelled Alexander the Great. And what's kind of cool about him is he wrote about India um, in structure, similar to the Europeans um, before the peace of Westphalia, like before that even came about. 
um, he didn't use that term, but basically he talked about India as a collection of states, potentially in permanent conflict with each other, which is kind of crazy because that's essentially what the peace of Westphalia essentially became. Um, and it's this fragile organization, um, and the statesmanship does not have the moral right to risk its survival and ethical restraint. Um, he, in his guidebook, he um, um, kind of had, pre- presents this multidimensional um, combo between Machiavelli and Clausewitz. Few, we've talked about both of those, both of those men. And basically, big picture is it was this theory of balance of power and the circle of states. Um, it's all about the state's obligation, self-interest, and the wise ruler would seek allies from his neighbors. Um, he talked about the importance of covert intelligence operations, uh, provided a guide to conquest, the construction of an international order. Basically, this should sound very familiar to the Westphalian uh, system. Um, unfortunately for the Indians, <laughs> a couple years go by, and um, there will be the presence of Indians. It's going to be similar to the Dutch, um, the British East India Company, which we talked about in August. Um, they were hostile. Um, and much like the Dutch, they went in and they, you know, they, they kind of made their way in between local princes. And they relied, one thing that was different is they relied heavily on Indian troops, which were referred to as the Sepoys. And these were Indians that were paid for, um, paid to be British soldiers. Um, slowly but surely, it's a land grab um, from the Indian um, population. And um, one other big thing that's very important is the uh, issue between the Hindus and the Muslims in India. Um, two, two religious groups that truly very deep-seatedly hate each other. And if you recall, there's a couple of really amazing Indian leaders before this time that went out of their way to try to help settle the disputes between those two groups. If you remember the Seven Years' War, this was the war where the Europeans were fighting in Europe and America, the French and Indian War, and in India. And um, basically, this results uh, with a, um, British, a British victory, referred to this as the First Global War. And um, this is um, one other thing, too, I want to make, 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 have you understand is at this point, there isn't a true Indian nationalism, which kind of like there's not a true Asian nationalism at this point. In India, it's the same thing. Same thing. So that's kind of, that's, that's pretty tough. So um, the Brits are going to be in India and will be bringing in um, English education, European education, um, economic reform. Eventually, this will lead to the creation of the INC, which is the Indian um, um, Indian National Congress in 1885. <coughs> and this will have three leaders, um, Gandhi, Nehru, and Jinnah. Uh, Gandhi is um, a very important guy who we will talk about um, extensively. Um, he very much wants to keep India united and keep the uh, Muslims and Hindus um, united. Nehru is going to be the representative for the Hindus, and Jinnah will be the representative for the Muslims, and we will talk more about them when we get to that time period. Next, I want you to bounce. I want you to. Ba- I want you to bounce on your map to Indochina, and in Indochina, basically the French, uh, once they lose India, will make their way into Laos. 
Cambodia and Vietnam, and that will be referred to as French Indochina. Very, very important for um, what will happen, um, particularly post-World War II. Uh, Afghanistan, I want you to pop back over to Afghanistan, find that on your map. And basically in Afghanistan, there's going to be wars, battles between the Russians and the English. This is referred to as the Great Game, as you can see from 1830 to 1895. Um, Afghanistan is referred to the graveyard of empires because many foreign entities attempt to go in and take over Afghanistan and they get stuck. Um, so pretty, pretty important. Um, Excuse me. Uh, uh, next, we're going to go to Japan. If you um, have seen the, the short history of uh, Japan, it's a 10-minute video. Pretty funny. I'll include that on here, so if you want to take it over. But if you want to look at um, Hideyoshi and um, you know how Japan became unified at first. But basically, um, pretty, um, pretty closed-off country. The Dutch were the only... European country that could go and um, trade in Japan and it was very small amounts of time and at one one location with uh, the Dutch the Dutch did bring European um, reading writing etc the Terikoya this uh, were schools that were expanded to ordinary people and um, reading writing the um, Confucianism is still part of Japan however Dutch studies did come. Um, with with uh, the the Dutch, um, in 1853, really important time. Um, Amer and if you look at that time period to kind of figure out, go back in your notes, like what's going on in America at this point. Um, American Commodore Matthew Perry arrived in Edo Bay, and he came with these big black boats. And um, this is referred to as gunboat diplomacy. We talked about this a little bit when we talked about the Industrial Revolution, what that means. And this is the same pressure that the Chinese faced with the Opium Wars. And basically, um, it was this forced treaty that uh, forced Japan to, to open up trade. Um, and, and basically, what that, what, that, what that pushes Japan into is, is, a, is a civil war. And the reason why is because there were... Um, people, particularly the samurai, that that you know, what's the point of a samurai if you have industrial industrialized country, and um, so the samurais armed themselves with you know, ironically used American Civil War's um, weapons and supplies, and um, the samurai eventually were defeated by shogunate force, and the crisis ended in 1868, and a new emperor is named Emperor Meiji or the Enlightened One. And with him, he thrust uh, Japan into great um, industrialization. Um, there was centralized power under his rule. Um, samurai officials were sent abroad to study, and um, you know, massive, massive um, changes. Uh, Japan was basically modeled like a, a European, European country. Uh, the you know, political reconstruction, um, reconstruction, their political parties, um, you know, a new nobility, um, operated kind of like the British House of Commons, um, and House of Lords, uh, bureaucracy completely reorganized a new constitution and, uh, the lower house, like kind of like House of Commons was referred to as the diet. Um, he greatly studied, um, Germany as well under the Kaiser and, um, Bismarck. And um, the clothing was westernized, 
westernized as well. And um, uh, so, and then of course, what's really important is the industrial revolu uh, revolution that's gonna make its way to Japan. One other thing I want you to make note that's really important is conscription was required. Really important as we're creeping closer to our um, um, <coughs> world wars. And then of course, if you remember the Russo-Japanese War in 1904, 1905. Um, and lastly, um, major imperialism results um, you know, some for you, for you soccer players, you know, soccer um, was, it, it, you know, that's a number one British sport. And um, what's interesting, if you look at the colonies of England, soccer is not the most um, revered sport like us and India. And maybe that has something to do with being colonized by um, England. Um, and then the term third world is a result from imperialism, which will take us into the Cold War, and I'll explain all that once we get there. I know that was fast and furious. Uh, let me know what questions you have, and I will see you soon. Thank you.